Welcome to Girl Power History. Welcome. Brianna and I are longingly staring into each other's eyes right now because we are together (laughs) recording for the first time ever. 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 So yeah. You flew in today. How was your flight? Oh, it was an event. I was really hoping for some sleep, but... I got a show instead. It was very interesting. Yeah. So what, what airline was it? Um, it was Delta. It was Delta. <laughs> What's the um, John Mulaney? <laughs> what, what does he say? He like sings. Um, oh, my God. Delta. It's like fucking nightmare or something. <laughs> I forget. Oh, my gosh. What is it? <laughs> No, I want to find it. Oh, so good. Um, yeah, if you've never seen John Mulaney's skits, they are hilarious. Um, but it wasn't like it wasn't a bad flight. It was just entertaining. Like I, there was screaming children, which really didn't bother me. You know, like it happens. Nothing you can do about it. Um, there was a lot of action with the like. The people on the flight in general. Um, I was trying to fall asleep. Someone was like yelling, and then I woke up. Yelling? Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't handle that. And I was just like, okay, yeah, I guess I'm not sleeping. And then this guy like passes out in the back, and he's like laying on the floor. And they announce like, is there a doctor on the plane or someone in the medical field? And I've, like, never been on a plane where this happened. Like, ten people stood up and, like, rushed to the back of a plane. Like, the flight attendant was like, okay, whoa, we only need, like, two people. <laughs> they were like, they're like, are you a doctor? Are you a doctor? And the one's like, I'm a nurse. And she's like, I'll go sit down. I was like, oh. I was like, she's probably better at this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I don't know if he had, like, a panic attack. He was fine. It's okay because he was fine. But like the end of the story, he he turns out that he's okay. Um, but the the one the one doctor like loudly announced that it was all in his head. And I was like, that was a dick move. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and like, okay, even if it was a panic attack, even if it was like that's still anxiety issues, right? So like He's, he passed out. It's not like it was in his head. So anyways, that was like, what the hell? And then, um, and then like 10 minutes into like helping this guy, he has like an oxygen mask on. He's like getting like his whatever, whatever they're doing back there. I wasn't like staring. I was just sitting straight forward and you're just like, like behind the curtain. Yeah. Like. <laughs> but you know how many people were? They all just like turned around and were like staring at this dude. Oh and God. I just like like was staring straight forward, just like listening because like it was two rows behind me. I was all the way in the back of the plane. <laughs> but um it was like this one guy, this is what this is the cherry on the top right now. He like walks back and like this is like 10 minutes into it, and he's like, uh, are you guys uh giving CPR? And I'm like like, to the flight attendant, and the flight attendant's like, no. And he's like, oh, all right, you know, I know CPR, and I was just going to, like, help a hand. Be a CPR can be really exhausting. And I was like, what were you thinking? Like, this is 10 – he would have been dead if they were giving him CPR for 10 minutes. Like, it wouldn't be happening. <laughs> it was just – like, it was like, what? And the flight attendant's like, no, please sit down. Like, oh, I was like – Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? And also, we wouldn't be just flying casually. We'd be having an emergency landing somewhere. Like, panic. Like, I was, like, starting to calm down. And this guy's like, all right, yeah, I know CPR. I'm like, what are you doing? Sit down, bro. (laughs) Yeah, we're all taking turns back here. Come on in. (laughs) 
dying. I was like, what? Uh, but yeah, he was fine. It uh, The medical, like paramedics came on the plane and like escorted him out. He was walking out. Like he was totally fine. And Did the I think plane was, take off? Did what? Did the plane take off or not yet? No, it took off. We were in the air, but we were like close to oh, O'Hare. Gotcha. So when we landed, they had to like, because it was like a reported incident, they yeah. still had to like take him off the plane with like, the paramount i mean he was walking he was like really i'm fine i'm fine i think he was more embarrassed at that point because it was like i mean he was hooked up to an oxygen tank like no matter what like even if it was a panic attack like that's a terrible situation to be in um yeah yeah like terrible and i mean luckily he had like his daughter there and his daughter was like freaking out i totally felt bad for her but like like this and then that one doctor oh it's all in his head and i'm just like you're such a dick (laughs) I was like, this sucks, you know? But mean, needless to say, it was a very eventful flight. Did not sleep much. Entertained. Mostly by people watching. I feel like I haven't people watched in a long time. And then it just kept on, like, getting more and more exciting. I forget how, like, mean the Chicago, um, like, when you're parked, like, try, like double parked to get, like, out of O'Hare mm-hmm. and like get into a car those guys yell like this girl was like 16 year old like trying to figure out how to park like to pick up her sister and he's just like screaming at her I'm like oh my god welcome back to Chicago <laughs> I feel like they're extremely mean but they're also in they a- ineffective <laughs> like people will just ignore them like they will be screaming and knocking on their window and they'll just like smile and wave at them like yeah i'm just waiting for something to- their plane's landing soon it's fine yeah yeah but it was like and to the point where it was like point like that girl's sister was like literally on the curb and he she could have just like got in the car but instead he was just like being completely rude to her yeah and there's like there's like five cars behind him that are just literally sitting there like, you could go yell at those. Like, they're not, like, nobody's there. Instead, you're picking on this 16-year-old girl that, like, barely knows how to drive. <laughs> Meanwhile, like, half of the um, pickup area is under construction. Oh, so you have to wait gosh. at, like, here, you get to, like, 20 feet with, like, two flights. Yeah, and then this area is for buses. This area is for, like, car rental pickup. Like, it's just, like, oh, my God, what a mess. But, yeah, it was entertaining. And the smells when you walk into O'Hare... It's just like, you know it's Chicago. Yes. It was just, oh, it smelled so good. And people were rude. And it was like, wow, I'm I'm glad to be back. Like, it's not like the Pacific Northwest. People are so nice there. I don't know if I can handle that. <laughs> it's just like, it's just like slightly different. And I didn't fully register it until like months away. You know, it's... Yeah, when you get ran like ran into like Pacific Northwest, like SeaTac, they'll like say sorry, and here they don't care. <laughs> That's very true. It's so funny. They won't even make eye contact no. with you. They just plow through you, <laughs> and you just you just both move on with your lives. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes there's the oh, <laughs> <Oop>. <laughs> that's the that's the Midwest sorry. Yep. <laughs> So yeah, it was eventful. Happy to be home. Happy to be here. Recording I'm happy that you're you. here. Yes, hello. This is exciting. I know. I'm so excited. So, anyways, are you doing your story today? I am doing a story today. <gasps> gather around, children. Gather, gather around the fire, children. Alexa will be telling her story on. Today we will be talking about Eliza Hamilton. Ooh. I have no idea who this is. You've seen Hamilton. I know, but like, I don't know who Eliza is. Well, I'm going to tell you all about her. Good thing good thing you're here. Good thing? Otherwise, I wouldn't be hearing it in over the internet. I don't know. I would be hearing it over the internet. Yeah, that's still, true. So. Or if we didn't have a podcast, I'd just call and like talk to you about it. Brianna, I'd love to tell you about this lady <laughs> that I started researching for no reason. Um, it's now my hobby. I just call and tell you about them. Do you have 40 minutes? <laughs> All right, let's get the show on the road. Awesome. Elizabeth Schuyler was born on August 9th, 1757 in Albany, New York. Her parents were Philip Schuyler, 
a general of the Continental Army, while her mother, Catherine Van Rensselaer, was from one of the wealthiest and most influential families in the state of New York. Eliza was one of 14 siblings. Only eight actually lived to adulthood. And being that her family was among the wealthy Dutch landowners who had settled around Albany in the 1500s, they naturally belonged to the Reformed Dutch Church of Albany, which was like super popular. They built a lot of like really famous churches and stuff around there. That's really all I found out about them was their, their, their buildings. Fun fact, Elizabeth met Benjamin Franklin when she was a young girl, when he briefly stayed at the Schuylers while traveling to a meeting of the Six Nations. Pretty cool. That's... Like, Ben Franklin, there's your spare bedroom. Yeah, pretty fancy. No big deal. <laughs> and as a girl, Elizabeth was regarded as a tomboy with a strong will and impulsive tendencies which shaped her character throughout her life. Always down for being a tomboy. Yeah. Gives you a little edge, you know? I, think I feel so. like you know a few things. Yeah, exactly. When Elizabeth was 23, she went to Morristown, New Jersey to stay with her aunt Gertrude, which I feel like she probably called Aunt Gertie. Oh, I love Gertie. I know. I feel like Gertie is a great name. Yeah. But like, you don't want Gertrude as the name. No, Gertie. I know, but like, if your name is Gertrude, like, I would just be like, my name's Gertie, like, all the time. I think Gertrude is, like, like one of those women who's just wearing one of those Victorian dresses and just stares at people, like, with these, like, really, like, pencil-thin, like, eyes and, like, just giving them a mean look. And then Gertie, she's fun. She's so real with you. I'm so glad that she's, like, so honest. She's and she fun. just loves to have a good time. Thriving. Exactly. Flirty, if you will. It's a flirty name. So while Elizabeth was in Morristown, she met one of General George Washington's aides while they were stationed in the town there for winter. And his name was Alexander Hamilton. This wasn't their first official meeting, however. Alexander had actually dined with the Schuylers while traveling back from a trip negotiating for George Washington, who was a general at the time, two years prior. Elizabeth and Alexander's relationship grew quickly. They were only able to spend about a month together during their first meeting due to Alexander being called away on business. This all just clicked on who we're talking about now. Oh my god. <laughs> it's probably the four hours of sleep, or the lack of sleep, or the all day of traveling. I don't know, but it's clicking. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you. Glad you're here. Just took me a minute. I'm here now. I'm very excited for this story now. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so you weren't before? No, I mean, I was, but I had no idea who we were talking about. And I thought we were going Silence of the Lambs for some reason in my head. That's, <laughs> that was that was where we were going. And I was like, that's not right. This is not right. We're talking about Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with it. I promise. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. The only reason, by the way... For everyone, for all of our listeners, that she's thinking about Silence of the Lambs is because I showed her a cat meme that was about Silence of the Lambs because that's one of my favorite books. And then we just went and quoted Silence of the Lambs and, for like quite a while. And now <laughs> we have to post that on our Instagram so people know what we're talking about. Anyway, all right. So we're in Morristown with Elizabeth. Um, at this time, she befriends Martha Washington. And they would maintain their friendship throughout their lives while navigating the life of being married to two men with prominent political careers. A quote from Eliza about Martha said, she was always my ideal of a true woman. So Elizabeth and Alexander continued their relationship through many letters. In early April, they received the blessing to be married from Philip Schuyler, which apparently was not an easy thing to acquire because Elizabeth's sisters, Angelica... And Catherine would both end up eloping. Oh, I didn't know people did that back then. I didn't either. What is considered eloping back then? Is it still like nobody knows and you just go get married? Or is I, I, it... I think so. Yeah. Okay. Because I mean, like, I told everybody, so technically I didn't elope. Yeah. You didn't invite anybody. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, is it like, where's the line? I think it's just like, hey, we're, we're getting, we're going to go do this. Yeah. Did you need witnesses back then? Was that a thing? I, feel I don't like know. Probably. Eh, probably. I assume so. I needed two witnesses. 
Because otherwise you could just be like, yeah, we're married. Yeah, that's true. You can always pay off a judge. It's true. Just kidding. I don't know if that's true. I'm, <laughs> I'm really not that You wouldn't say always. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that didn't happen. I'm just... <laughs> Elizabeth and Alexander were married at the Schuyler Mansion on December 14, 1780. Elizabeth moved several times after marrying Alexander, including places like New Windsor and Albany, which they moved back and forth from like a few times. While settling into their home life, she often helped him with his political writings and even served as an intermediary between Alexander and his publisher while he was writing the Federalist Papers, which, you know helped the ratification of the United States Constitution. Kind of turned out to be a big deal. Kinda. Yeah, he was kind of a big deal. Yeah, she helped. Because she's a badass, and there's always a woman behind every power. Mm -hmm. Their first child, Philip, was born on January 22nd, 1782. Eliza went on to birth a total of eight children and also cared for the two-year-old child of a fellow officer of Alexander's. That's a lot of baby baby birthing. That's a lot. Yeah. Good for her. This next part, I will call a woman scorned. Mm. June 1st, 1796. It was in that summer that Alexander met Mariah Reynolds and began an illicit affair. Mariah was 23 years old and was seeking help from Alexander Hamilton due to his status in political office. She claimed that her abusive husband had abandoned her and she needed money to survive. But once Alexander arrived at the boarding house where Mariah Reynolds was living, she led him to her bedroom where he recounts some conversation ensued from which it quickly became apparent that other than pecuniary consolation would be acceptable. So according to Alexander, Mariah led him on and didn't really just want money. What what did she want, Alexa? Cookies? Baked goods? Pecuniary consolation, Brianna. What, what defined? Well, they had an affair, okay? Oh, my gosh. So you're talking about sex. I am talking about sex. 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 I'm talking about sex. Baby, let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that can be. Let's talk about sex. I'm leaving all of that in. Oh, come on. Oh, yeah. Yes. Please leave that in. Alexander continued the affair into the fall while Eliza and the children were visiting her father in Albany. However, pretty shortly after that, Mariah told Alexander that she would be reconciling with her husband, James Reynolds, but they did not end the affair there. So they were both cheating on their spouses at this point. That sucks. All right, so get this. Mariah got her husband, James, an interview in the Treasury office where Alexander was first Treasury of the Secretary. Obviously, Alexander's like, no, that would be super awkward. So he... James Reynolds obviously didn't get the job, and then he was also like, also, we're not going to do this affair anymore. So from December 15th to December 19th, James Reynolds wrote Hamilton threatening letters demanding financial compensation of $1,000. First, James was like, please stop with sleeping with my wife and also pay me money. But then he changed his mind and was like, actually, you can keep sleeping with her as long as I keep getting paid because this is working out for me. So basically, he realized that pimping out his wife wasn't as bad as he thought. So let me get this straight. He wanted to get a job, and then Alexander essentially screwed him with getting this position. Well, I think, like, I don't know. And this is just outside perspective because this is like the 1700s. But like, oh, yeah, you know, like my husband, I thought you guys would be great working together. Like, how awkward and weird is that? I love when you do like, like twist on like, like, it's like way back in the day and you do like a modernized twist. Like you did one where it was like, yeah, it's like equivalent of them like tweeting about it. Like, it just corrects me up. Like, that would be a super awkward situation. Yes. Yes, it would be. But it's also like if he was the reason why he didn't get that job. Well, he was, but for good good reason. I mean, yeah, but like, then the guy was like, yeah, keep paying me and sleeping with my wife. Weird. It's all weird. It's all, all weird. It's all, all of this is weird. Okay. So 
Um, Mariah Reynolds also continued to write Alexander letters, reportedly seducing him and asking him for money, usually between $30 and $50. So they were both manipulating him. And then he also kept paying them in order to keep his secret. Is there any like documentation of how much he ended up paying them? I don't know if they added it all together. And then also all of the letters regarding this situation were burned Except for what I'm going to talk about in a few minutes, which okay. you know if you've watched Hamilton. I have watched it. I just Stay blacked down. out for a moment. Um, the entire affair came to light because of the money first. James Reynolds was arrested with his partner in crime, Jacob Klingman, in November 1972 for forgery. Reynolds, of course, wrote to Alexander from jail and was like, hey, buddy. I know we're like not actually friends and I really just extorted you, but. I'm kind of in a little bit of a pinch, and I could use your help. Okay, call me back. Bye. Example B. So Alexander didn't call back, obviously. And then Jacob Klingman had an idea. He contacted Alexander's rivals in the Democratic Republican Party. Because if anybody else didn't know, those the Democrats and the Republicans were both the same party a really long time ago. Long story. Anyway. James Monroe and some others visited Reynolds and Klingman in jail and promised to reveal in detail nefarious information about misconduct on the part of Hamilton as soon as they secured their freedom. So the guys get out. Instead of keeping their promise and telling them all this information, they just disappeared. Hmm. So they find his wife, Mariah Reynolds, and they're like, can you tell us what happened? And she hands over all the, the letters that Alexander wrote every time he paid her. For money so she, like she had proof that he was paying her for something Did and her husband no so they immediately thought that it was extortion so in december of 1972 james monroe and the others confronted alexander with speculation sounds scary <laughs> i tried to make it sound scarier <laughs> so alexander Afraid to ruin his reputation, told them everything about the affair to prove that his crimes were relating to adultery and extortion, but not misconduct of the treasury. Because he, he cared about that more. After all of this, Mariah Reynolds and her husband's partner in crime, Jacob Klingman, claimed that the affair was actually just to cover up the treasury misconduct. She then asked help from Aaron Byrd to get a divorce from Reynolds, and then after, her and Jacob ended up getting married. Whoa. I know. It's such a like a sordid tale. I feel like some of this wasn't really in the play. Oh no 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 no. This is um this is new information. In the summer of nineteen seventy nine, a journalist published a collection of pamphlets called The History of the United States for seventeen ninety six, which included the speculation of wrongdoing on Ham- Hamilton's part, in which he promised to uncover the truth of his wrongdoing. It's kind of like opposite of journalism. Instead of just like, I'm going to find out what really happened, they just like type what they think happened. But he, but he's telling them what happened? He will. Uh, okay. So basically the deal is that he, everyone still thinks that he was extorting like the treasury and like stealing money from the government. Not the affair. And he's trying to prove that the affair was like why he was paying this person money. Alexander couldn't stand for someone else to uncover his truth and it not to be his in his own words. So Alexander was like, hold my beer. <laughs> because obviously it's the 1700s and you can't hold a beer and use a quilt. It's too messy. <laughs> you need two hands for that. For sure. The speculation caused Alexander to write and publish all 100 pages of the Reynolds pamphlet, detailing his affair and the blackmail that ensued after. A hundred pages? A hundred. He had a lot to say. Uh, well, I feel like now we're show we're the we are so shorthanded compared to like what it was back then. Like it was like I walked the street. It was like I thought about walking down the street. I mean, okay, so imagine Not only is he writing 100 pages, he's handwriting 100 pages with an ink and quill. Imagine making copies of something back then. It would take forever 
This is why everyone had like carefully composed words back then. Because you had a lot of time. You're not just like tweeting something and like, oh, I wish I didn't have said that. So wait, he hand wrote this? Like, well, yeah, he, there's no typewriters. I mean, did they have assistants? No. Oof. About the hand muscles back then. I know, right? Do you think everyone just walked around with like big hands? I feel like my hands are. I feel so, like, like that's not talked about in history, and it should be. <laughs> it really should be because, they, like, I write like one letter and my hand hurts. Yeah. Like, I just, these muscles don't even exist anymore. <laughs> All right. So, a quote from the Reynolds pamphlet The charge against me is a connection with one James Reynolds for purposes of improper pecuniary speculation. Ow, ow. My real crime is an amorous connection with his wife for a considerable time with his privity and connivance. Connivance? Connivance. If not originally brought on by a combination between the husband and wife with the design to extort money from me. Mic drop. So he's saying at one point he didn't know and then he knew and was okay with him sleeping with his wife pretty much and but he's saying that he thinks that they were together working this plan the entire time and they they kind of like were okay i'm just re yeah wording yeah his letter mm-hmm. in, in modern day words mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm. Hold my beer. So after the Reynolds pamphlet was released, Mariah Reynolds was publicly scorned and had to move to Britain with her husband as soon as the pamphlet came out. Ooh. Yeah. Imagine having to, like, move countries. <laughs> Ouch. I bet she still was, like, heard of over there. Yeah, pro- I mean, I don't know. So initially, Eliza did not believe the speculation of gossip of either the affair or the misuse of government money. But once the Reynolds pamphlet came out, she obviously had no choice but to believe all 100 pages of what her husband had said. By the way, she was eight months pregnant with her sixth child at this time. Alexander's name was cleared, but Elizabeth was left deeply humiliated. The scandal solidified the fact that Alexander would never be able to obtain a higher political office and newspapers began attacking Eliza as well. Even though she was at a risky point in her pregnancy, given the fact that the birth could be imminent and she had suffered a miscarriage previously, she still left his ass in New York. And then she joined her parents in Albany and gave birth to William Stephen on August 4th, 1797. She did, however, return to her home in September due to the fact that Philip contracted typhus, and the doctors were unable to cure him at that point. Philip eventually recovered, and Eliza and Alexander began to reconcile their marriage. It's so interesting that um, scandals were like that back then as well. Like, just, I, I mean, it's it's definitely anyone in politics are supposed to be, like, the greatest people in the world, right? They can't have anything that tarnishes their their status or their political career but it's like that it shouldn't be on her and it shouldn't affect her life and if she leaves him like to go to her parents like that shouldn't be an issue either like yeah. that's i hate when other people get involved in other relationships mm-hmm So Eliza's son, Philip Hamilton, grew up and attended Columbia College, where his father was a renowned alumnus. He graduated with honors in 1800 and went on to study law. So this guy named George Eaker comes along on July 4th, 1801, to give an Independence Day speech for the Tammany Society, which was a Democratic Republican Party created by Aaron Burr. And in that speech, George reportedly said that Alexander Hamilton would not be opposed to overthrowing Thomas Jefferson's presidency by force, which is like a super huge blow and like very insulting. Later in that year, Philip and his friend Stephen Price ran into George Eaker while attending a play. Philip confronted Eaker about his comments and in turn an argument ensued and Eaker called Philip and Stephen damned rascals, which was a big deal back then. Not like you damned rascals, like it was like swear it was like a dropping an MF or yeah, and they're okay. like, "Oh no, you didn't!" Mm-hmm. So highly offended, Philip Hamilton and Stephen Price formally challenged Eaker to a duel. Ugh. 
dumbest thing I've ever heard of. <laughs> You're so terrible. It's like the dumbest way to get back at someone. Let's just shoot each other. <laughs> See if it happens. Alexander told Philip to delope, which is French for throwing away. So basically, he told his son to throw away his first shot and put an end to the duel. So Stephen has a duel with George first the day before. Because they had to, like, schedule these. Like, all right, I'm going to do both of you separately. We need witnesses. Oh, we'll talk about that. Okay. Um, So Stephen had a duel with George first, and neither party was injured, even though four shots in total were fired. Wait, you can fire multiple shots? I thought it was just one. No, they would fire, like, a bunch sometimes. I thought it was just, like, either you shoot or you don't. And if you shoot, you better aim. No, I think it's, like, I think with whatever is in their gun. Oh, Lord, really? Yeah. Oh, these were even worse than I thought they were. Yeah. Okay. I mean, they didn't have, like, a lot of bullets, but it's not like they were using, like, muskets. Ugh. So the next day on November 23rd, in Weehawken, New Jersey, Philip listened to his father and refused to raise his pistol. At first, Eager followed suit and also did not shoot. But after a minute, both Eager and Philip raised their pistols. Philip was shot first. The bullet entered through his hip and lodged in his arm. A shot was fired from his pistol, but many speculate that it was just a spasm from his body being in shock. Many witnesses, and even later his own Aunt Angelica, said that he displayed the most modest poise and dignity. Philip was rushed to his aunt's house in Manhattan. Eliza, who was three months pregnant at the time, rushed to her sister's home to be with her dying son. Alexander and Eliza remained by Philip's side through the night. He died at 5 a.m., 14 hours after being shot. Which is crazy because I, I think, like, gunshots back then were so bad. I mean, they're bad now, but, like, imagine just, like, the trajectory of bullets and, like, what happens inside your body and, like, how much, like, because bullets back then, like, they just, like, obliterated somebody. Well, not really as much as the bullets do today. Like, the technology has advanced well, where they, like, literally incinerate someone with one shot. Yeah, but, like, this was, like, slower. Oh, yeah. Like, it was like, all that, but just, like, it took forever. Oh, yeah. You get shot and they just thought you were dead. Because, one, they had no idea how to fix it. And, two, they were just like, well, you're bleeding in multiple areas, so... Yeah, You're and like even if they got just gonna slowly bleed out. And even if they got the bullet out, like there was so much damage. And then also the rate of infection was just so insanely high too. Yeah. That's that's like really what took people out. Yeah. They just always died. Or they had a limb chopped off. Oh yeah. Yeah. So the death was extremely hard for the entire Hamilton family. Eliza and Alexander were forever changed. But I also think that this was a point where even though they reconciled after the Reynolds pamphlet, this is kind of where Eliza began to forgive Alexander a little bit more because I think grieving together over the death of a child is, you know, as tragic as it is, it also, you know, brings you, you know, closer at a time where you like, maybe you need each other to heal. I mean, that's big of her instead of blaming him for. So, I mean, that's big of her because she, Instead of, like, blaming him for her son's death, she was like, let's heal together, even though it was yeah. sort of his fault. And that's, like, just speculation on my part, but I could kind of see that that was, you know, what could have happened. So, Philip's 17-year-old sister, Angelica, had a mental breakdown over his death, and she never recovered from that. And it was really devastating she sometimes could not recognize family members often talked to her brother as if he were still alive and she spent much of the remainder of her life in a state of eternal childhood uh, okay what what is that called now ptsd i don't know yeah yeah i'd say it's some coping with interesting yeah. In June of 1802, Eliza gave birth to the child that she was pregnant with at the time of Philip's death, and she named him Philip in memory of his older brother. 
At this point, Alexander began to build a family home for Eliza called Hamilton Grange. This is where Eliza and Alexander would continue to rekindle their marriage. And now we move on to the most famous duel in history. At this point, Alexander Hamilton was still a leaning proponent of the Federalist Party, was but was no longer the Secretary of the Treasury because he left at the end of the Washington administration. And Aaron Burr was currently the vice president under Thomas Jefferson because he lost the presidency. And at that time, whoever loses was the vice president. Alexander and Aaron had a long rivalry throughout their lives. And this was a culmination of that tension. The last straw was when Alexander wrote a scathing opinion of Aaron during the 1804 gubernatorial race, where Burr was trying to become governor. However, there is much speculation on what the real motivation behind the agreeing to the duel was. Some characterized Alexander as suicidal while calling Aaron murderous. Either way, Aaron Burr formally challenged Alexander Hamilton to a duel and Alexander accepted. On July 11, 1804, Alexander and Aaron rode in separate boats across the Hudson River to Weehawken, New Jersey, the very same dueling ground where Philip Hamilton was mortally injured. Duels were pretty much becoming illegal at this point. They weren't exactly legal before, but no one was actually prosecuted for participating in one because it was an event that both parties agreed to. But at this time, New York was very strict on their banishment of duels, and New Jersey was much more lenient. So they crossed the state line to have a duel? Mm-hmm. Okay. Weird. Everything's legal in New Jersey. <laughs> Except for pumping your own gas. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> that's where that's where the song got it wrong. Okay, this I also thought was super crazy. In order for everyone to have plausible deniability, which basically they can deny knowledge of anything that they didn't see, the pistols were transported in luggage so no one actually saw them, and all of the witnesses faced away from the actual duel. No way did no way. they actually do that. <laughs> yep. No way. No, there was this whole thing where, like, everyone had, like, their backs towards everybody and, like, the doctors, like, wouldn't be at, like, the dueling grounds yet and stuff, so they wouldn't know how the person got injured. Are you kidding me? That's the <laughs> dumbest shit I've ever heard. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. I didn't witness it. I heard <laughs> I it behind me, nothing. but I have no idea what I was that just is. standing there, staring off. We all just magically Randomly. met at this one point. I don't even know this guy. Most agree that they heard two shots fired, but some say only Aaron Burr fired, and no one actually saw the duel because their backs were turned. But <laughs> those who believe the two shots say that Alexander fired above Aaron's head while Burr returned fire, hitting Alexander above the right hip. The lead ball ricocheted off his ribs and caused extreme damage to his internal organs and finally lodged into his lumbar vertebrae. Yeah, real messed up. Yeah bounced around all up in him like a pinball machine yeah alexander collapsed immediately and it is said that aaron moved toward him in an involuntary and speechless manner showing his immediate regret he was whisked away into a rowboat while the doctor approached alexander wrote a letter before the duel titled statement on the impending duel of aaron burr he stated that he opposed dueling for both religious and practical reasons although historians debate if these were his true feelings or if he was using his last writings to make Aaron Burr look super guilty if he didn't get killed or if he got killed. I don't know which one I want to believe. I kind of like both of them. I feel like you do both. You just kind of are like, well, whatever happens, happens, but it's definitely his fault. Alexander was taken to his friend's house in New York. Eliza and all of their children were at his side when he died the next day. Ugh. Burr was formally charged with murder in New York and New Jersey, but he was never actually tried. He eventually returned to Washington, D.C. to finish his term as vice president. Was he never tried because no one saw or witnessed? Because everybody's Maybe. back was turned? Or also he was very high in political office. <laughs> He's like, um, I'm going to pardon myself. Didn't J- Dick Cheney like shoot someone too when he was vice president? I feel like that was something that happened. I have no idea. When probably. he was like hunting, there was like a weird like hunting accident. And they're like, no, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> he didn't die. <laughs> no, all charges dropped. Eliza was extremely distraught after. So distraught that her friends and family feared for her sanity. 
She was not able to attend the funeral and soon retreated with her daughter and young sons to her father's house in Albany. So not only was Eliza completely devastated because even though they had their turmoil, they were still madly in love and she lost her person. In the event of Alexander's death, Eliza was to be given two letters. One was a farewell letter and it included the line, Adieu, best of wives and best of women. Embrace all of my darling children for me. Ever yours, A.H. I think the other one was like if he didn't die or something. I guess they could just talk to each other. I don't know. We can speculate. Maybe it was just like... It was more like a a grocery list. A a business list. (laughs) You may have all my assets, my love. Life wasn't so great after Alexander's death because Eliza was left to pay his many debts and this led to a big lifestyle change. Not that they were like extremely lavish before, but I mean, she grew up wealthy and so I think this like kind of was a shock because also they had a ton of kids. Um, The Grange house had to be sold at auction. However, she was able to repurchase the home back at half the price because the executors of Hamilton's will were basically his friends and they like secretly like started a fund and basically they bought the house back at the auction and then sold it to her for half price so she could keep it. Those are some good friends. Mm-hmm. So 33 later, 33 years later at the age of 76, Eliza resold that house. Uh, and she moved to a townhouse in New York with two of her children. So it was kind of sad. That was just like a sad part that I thought because like that was like the house that Alexander built for them. Hmm. So. Back when men built their own homes. Right. Well, I think he probably like had it built. Shh. Okay. He built it himself. Two years after Alexander's death, she co-founded the Orphan Asylum Society, the first private orphanage in New York City where she served as second directress or vice president, and then she served as first directress for 27 years. Her total time with this organization was 42 years. And in that time, she raised funds, collected goods, and in time oversaw the care and education of more than 700 children. That's a lot. Good for her. I didn't know that about her. The organization still exists today, and as a social service agency for children. It is called Grand Wyndham. Because of her charity work, she was inducted into the philanthropy section of the National Museum of American History. They also opened a school near where they lived in Manhattan, and it was called the Hamilton Free School, and it offered education to students whose families couldn't afford a private education. There wasn't public schools. Yeah, so basically an education. So, yeah. Alexander Hamilton had many critics throughout his life and after, and Eliza defended him in many ways and did not stay silent in the wake of his criticism. I think her identity after his death was partly a preserver of his legacy, which she did fiercely. For example... Many people did not believe that he authored George Washington's farewell address because Washington originally was helped by James Madison. One quote I found that best explains the origin of the farewell address. Some of the words were Madison's, most of the words were Hamilton's, all of the ideas were Washington's. Because Alexander was no longer alive to defend himself, Eliza made sure that he had the recognition that he deserved. In 1848, Eliza was 91 when she moved to Washington, D.C. with her widowed daughter, Eliza. At this time, she asked Congress to buy and publish Alexander's writings, which they granted, and now all of his official works are forever preserved in the Library of Congress. During this time, she also was helping Dolly Madison, wife of James Madison, and Louisa Adams, wife of John Quincy Adams, to raise money and build the Washington Monument. Eliza Hamilton died on November 9, 1854 in Washington, D.C. at the age of 97. She died of natural causes. She lived 50 years longer than her husband and arguably accomplished just as much as he did or more. 
That's a really long time to live back then. Yeah. Like, she surpassed all averages. Yeah. She was, like, the oldest person to live back then. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what, like, the actual, like, oldest person was. Like, modern-day medicine, it's still, like, 106, I think, is, like, the oldest yeah. person ever. Yeah. Maybe 107. I don't 97. know. 97. That's crazy. In 1854. That's what I'm saying. Like So crazy. She beat everything. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, I mean, that alone, she accomplished a lot. So, yeah, that is the story of Eliza Hamilton. I did not know what she was um, working on, like, as the orphanage back then is still going today with, like, social services. Um, yeah, which I think is same. really cool. Yeah. I mean, the first private orphanage in New York City, which I think is a, a huge deal because, I mean, if you think back then there was, you know, so little for social services. There so. wasn't even education. Exactly. It was only, yeah, so. <laughs> it was only considered private education. There was no public education. Yeah, <laughs> there was private education or no education. Yeah. <laughs> you pay for it or you don't get it. <laughs> So, yeah. That's awesome. Would you like to talk about a girl crush? Is it going to be Brene Brown again for the 20th time? Is it going to be who for the 20th time? Brene Brown. Oh, I thought you were going to say Sam and Sisters. <laughs> Sam and Sisters! So now we have the Trout Sisters. <laughs> now it's the Mahi Mahi Sisters. <laughs> I'm full. I only want one mahi mahi. <laughs> I'm not that hungry. <laughs> what movie is that from? Oh. One mahi? Yeah. Um, where she's like out to dinner and she's wearing those really thick glasses and she can't like see anything and she's like on a date and she's like, I'll take the mahi mahi, but can I only have one mahi because I'm not that hungry? <laughs> it's like... I also feel like you're describing my life right now because, like, I'm taking a break from my contacts and I have been a little disoriented today with my glasses. Uh, Living life as a glasses person. Um, let's see. Girl crush. It's not like a business. It's more like I'm just really impressed with my friends right now. Is that – can I just girl crush on my friends? So – I have, um, I feel like I just have some really like badass people around me and okay. So I guess my girl crush is more of like, I'm just really proud of all the people that are in my life. Like all the women that are in my life, because I have, I mean, you, we started this podcast, which is incredible. Something that I'm really proud of and I'm it's pretty been really incredible. fun. Yeah. Um, and life gets crazy and we're still like finding this outlet and yes. I think it's awesome. I have a girlfriend who is like becoming a doctor and she's doing like amazing things right now. So um and then she's like having her like second ER rotation and um I have another girlfriend who's getting her doctorate um to become a I don't even know, doctor, nurse, what is it called? Nurse practitioner. Thank you. Um, who's, you know, getting her doctor to become a, a nurse practitioner. And it's just, it's just really cool. You know, everybody is continuing to like push themselves in education, in jobs, you know, testing their boundaries and even applying for new positions and stuff out of their comfort zones and it's just cool. I, I love like just being around people that are continuing to grow and like see everybody else around them just continue to get better and, and strive to get better. So I guess it's not like a specific person. I'm like calling out all of my friends that like I have a ton of friends that are like so nice. Yeah. So that's it's just it's refreshing to like like and also I have this one girlfriend that um 
I live close to in Washington and she can like literally do anything. Like she's super handy with like every freaking tool. Like it's just, I had this like revelation of like, we can literally do anything. Like we were fixing a sprinkler system together. Like the other day, like, hi, I'm a 30 year old woman. I would never think like 15 years ago that I would be like, oh yeah, I can fix a sprinkler system. Yeah. Like, it's just like, like that stuff that I'm just like, God, I'm just like, we are fucking badasses. Mm-hmm. So my girl crushes on my friends right now. Mm. <laughs> oh, I know. Stop it. Mine is totally not the same thing. Yours is always funny and I appreciate Mine is, that. I, I oh, know. is it dark and twisted? A little bit. It's like, it's either super funny or you're okay. like super dark okay, and twisted. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say two. Okay. First, first is several and they are... So the first is um, my husband and I watched the show The White Lotus on HBO Max. And I just need to say that every female character in that show was so on point and stole the show. And it was just so good. It was Alexandria Daddario, Jennifer Coolidge, Connie Britton. They were all just so fantastic. And they really, like, they were so intricate. They were such intricate characters the entire time, and they were so fascinating to watch, and it was so funny and how all of those characters were so deep, and all the men in the show, I feel like, were very, like, they were all very focused on their ids, and it was just, it was a really neat show, and that's something that I noticed throughout the entire series, because it's only six episodes, but I highly recommend it, but it was just, it was just really interesting, and they all did a great job. Okay, so that's one. That's on my lighter okay. note. And on a different note um, is Yanomi Park, who is a North Korean human rights activist. I just listened to her podcast on Joe Rogan, and it talked about her life in North Korea and defecting from North Korea. And I will say that that podcast was extremely extremely hard to listen to and disturbing and so extreme caution while listening to it but i also think that it is something that i listened to that was so it was it was really hard to like literally like wrap my head around that it was stuff that happens right now because she's she's a few years younger than me and just to think that things like there's life in other parts of the world that are happening at the same time that my life is happening and they are so drastically different. So if you are not familiar with how, you know, what life is like in North Korea, because no one really is. Um, it was a very interesting podcast. And she also has a book out called In Order to Live, a North Korean's a North Korean girl's journey to freedom. And I think it is, it should be on the New York Times bestseller list. Um, so yeah, give that a li- give that a read or a listen. Yeah, I want to, I want to listen to that when you sent it to me. I've, I think you're like the third person that said like, okay. hey, you got to listen to this podcast. And I, everyone has to listen to it. Yeah, like it's, it's like a three hour long podcast. Yeah. So I haven't like, I haven't mentally prepared myself to sit through it. And I also feel like it's going to be really like heavy. It's it's so one of the heaviest podcast episodes of anything I've ever listened to. Yeah. And I feel like I know that stuff happens and I know there's stuff happening right now in the world that's just devastating. And it's stuff that in my like I naive head that I almost like it makes me so sad when I hear about it Mm -hmm. that I want to know that it's happening, but there's like, there's some point, like, it's like, there's nothing I can do to fix this. Yeah. And it's just, it's so hard for me to imagine anybody going through this. So like stuff like that really gets to me. So I like have to be in this space where I'm like, okay, I am ready to like, and I just emotionally have not been there and I just feel so terrible. Yeah, there's you, nothing I can do. You definitely need to be in the right. Would not recommend listening to it if you're not in the right headspace. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a hard listen, but I, it's something that I just like didn't 
like, I really never knew about North Korea. Like I, you know, I mean, I knew it was bad, but you know, you don't really know how bad it is or like how, just how different it is from like anything else you hear. And just having that knowledge now, even though it's very hard to, you know, bear, it's, um, it's really eye opening. And I think I have a different perspective on the world after listening to it. I feel like anytime I do listen to stuff like that, I always have this just massive appreciation for being a U.S. citizen Mm -hmm. or being in a country that has women rights, Mm -hmm. like basic human, you know, rights essentially for, for all, you know, genders and races. And it's just stuff like that where it's like, how is that not something that's just given? Yeah, definitely. So, um, I mean, most of Europe as well, like it's just, we are very lucky we're um, lucky to have a podcast like this that yeah. we can talk about girl power history. Yeah, we're we're able to talk about other women in history and that's incredible as well. Yeah. So that's it. That's those are my um, all of all our collective 30 girl crushes for <laughs> this week. I I have like 10 girl crushes because I don't want to individually call out all the people <laughs> that I'm girl crushing on. So um, going to be like, "Why why didn't you why didn't you talk about me? I am literally talking about all of my friends. I'm not calling out one person. I'm like, if you are my friend, I am proud of you. Honestly, <laughs> and if you're not my friend, I'm still I'm proud sorry, of you. I'm sorry, but you're just kind of my... Yeah. I'm sorry that I took a national podcast to... <laughs> for me to tell you this. <laughs> no. Um, but, oh, I did want to say that I am watching... Um, so I've, like, binged The ha- House, um, this that TV show oh, yeah, house. house and the, the star from, or the writer of Hamilton. Mm-hmm. What's his name? Lin-Manuel Miranda. Thank you. Um, I knew you would know it. <laughs> or as my kids call it, Hey, the Hamilton guy. <laughs> That's who I call it. I am <laughs> essentially your child when it comes to that. Um, he is in like, uh, season six and he just does this like guest appearance and he's like throughout like the seasons. And this is like way before. Really? Yeah. And oh, no, he's rapping. He's rapping with the main character from House. Oh, and I'm they're really like in it. this like uh, rehab facility, like mental institution together. And he has like this like bipolar, he's in a manic state. And he's like roommates with uh, the main character in House. And then they have, like, this talent show, and he's, like, rapping, and they're, like, rapping together. It's, like, I was, like, oh, my gosh. Like, and he is so, like, the same person yeah. he is in Hamilton. That's like, really funny. It was, like, but it was, like, done, like, way before. So it was, like, done in 2016. Mm-hmm. And, like, Hamilton, I think, came out in, like, 2018 or 2019 or something. Yeah, but I think he started writing it back then. Okay. So but, it was of the time. What up? Jordan looked it up. He's just oh, okay. like obsessed with uh-huh. with Hamilton and um, my girlfriend Jordan. She like because I sent it to her and I was like, oh my god, yeah. like he's in here. And um, so she like looked up all the dates. I don't know. I probably have him wrong, but it was like way before he was like that came out. But okay. he like started doing like the Broadway stuff at the same time. But yeah, it was just so cool because I was like, I like I was like I know that guy. I'm like, well, how do I know him? And then he started like rapping, and I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> That is so awesome. That's like he plays um, Amy's sister on Brooklyn Nine or Amy's brother on Brooklyn Nine Nine. Does he? Yeah, it's he's that's a great character too. Does um, he do like the same rap kind of character as well? No, he's just like her know-it-all older brother. Oh my gosh, I don't remember that. I and love he, Brooklyn I think he Nine-Nine. did it because he was just a really big fan of the show. And it's also funny too because all the new movie, one of the new movies that he did. Um, is it called in the in the heights which is on hbo max still maybe and there's a lot of characters from brooklyn 99 that are in that i love brooklyn 99 i saw terry just a reminder oh, yeah. to everybody i worked out with him <laughs> in california <laughs> go back and listen to that episode it's, like, go back to it's a episode. harrowing story that you'll never hear again <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah okay well that was my only thing that i wanted to tell you about the about your story i love so, it yeah all right good <laughs> All right, awesome. should, we, should we get out of here? Yeah. And um, if you liked how my mic sound, let me know because yes. I 
bought this new setup and i'm really excited about it She's and a professional i professional now i finally have an actual mic Yay. that doesn't sound like crap so, so hopefully our sound is sounding better we're working diligently <laughs> unless it sounds like crap we've been yelling yeah. at our sound guy for weeks and weeks and seriously it's me <laughs> <laughs> get your shit together Alexa. i'm trying <laughs> <laughs> all right thanks all guys right. Thank you so much for listening and we will see you next week because history is her story. Bye. Bye. Thank you to our dear friends, Carly and Dylan Peterson for creating our theme song and show music. You can follow their band Valentine on Spotify and on social media at at valentine the band visit our show description for sources and episode links email us at hello at girlpowerhistory.com and follow us on all social media platforms at at girl power history girl power history girl power history